Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. I wanted to try something a little different with you. I don't think I've ever done this on a podcast. I wanted to go through your IMDb. You said you've never done this before? I've never done this before. All right. That's, I've, that's I've done a lot of podcasts, too. I've never done Let's this do before. Let's do something you've never done before. I like that. Um, <laughs> but going way, way back, because I'm, I'm a child of the mid-'70s when all we had on was Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch, mm-hmm. and you were Jungle Boy on Gilligan's Island. Yeah. That's well How old were you as Jungle Boy? I was 13. So you were... You're one of the rare cases of the child actor who actually became the successful adult actor and well, didn't go crazy. I think there's a lot of reasons for that um, because I think a lot of them just found another life that they preferred. You know, yeah. they, they, I think that you know they were, some of them were really good actors and they just decided to do something else. Others were more effective and perhaps best effective as a child actor, and then as they grew and changed, that became something that didn't uh, didn't work as well. I I just never looked at it one way or the other. I just always looked at it as playing a part. You know, I was just a, I was a guy playing a part. I was, I never felt like I was a kid playing a part. Right. You know, I didn't, I didn't. Do you understand, do you understand some of the uh, dangers of when somebody becomes famous or well-known as a child actor and then it seems like it derails them a lot of times? Oh, I understand it well. Yeah. So what were I've the biggest it. dangers <laughs> lived, for you? I've through it. I've watched yeah. it. I've lived it. Let's I've, hear I've, about you know, it. What were the big dangers? You no, know, I, my, well, the dangers have been documented. I mean, that have happened to, to many, many of those young actors. Um, it just wasn't my future. It just wasn't where I was going. It wasn't what I was interested in. I wasn't interested in it for a lot of the reasons that I think perhaps made life difficult for some of those people. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not that I didn't experience the same pressures, the same realizations, the same difficulties. Um, I just kind of dealt with it differently. Rode the waves. What do you remember no, about Gogan's Island? I didn't, I didn't, that's like, I, that reminds me of a thing. I met a guy one time. I remember there was a big, there was a phrase one time, which was go with the flow. Yeah. That was just not me. <laughs> I was never a go with the flow guy, no matter whether it was hip or not. And so, like I said, sometimes to, to my detriment, but I, I just, it's just not, it just wasn't my look at life. And I was doing other things too. You know, I had other interests and baseball was one of them and it was, I was serious about that. So, um, I took that to the professional level and was injured out of the game after three years. What position were you? Second baseman. And, uh, you know, that was what I was spending the most and great part of my life uh, working on um, because that's a season and that's a continuous – you must quickly and continuously improve to be able to rise up the ladder. And that's a black and white game. How many runs did you knock in that year? How many big runs? How many times did you pop up with a man on first – with man on third base and – Nobody out or one out and not move the runner home. How many errors did you make? How many games did you cost us? How many? What was your impact? Were you an impact player or were you just one of the guys in the club that kind of, mm-hmm. did you play on winning teams? Did you help? It's all that stuff. It's black and white. You can look at stats and say, that guy's good. Yeah. This is not that business. This is a, what? It's a subjective look at uh, your opinion of something and it's entirely different. One is a, cre- uh, you, it, you know, you can get into the weeds about it. One is a creative business where you go to work every day and you create something uh, tangible out of thin air. The other one is tangible, period. Right. And the audience reaction is immediate. Strike three, boo. (laughs) Base hit, (laughs) knock the run in, yay. Feels good, feels bad. You learn to pace yourself. Taking some of that knowledge into this business, which my dad did both. My dad was a professional ball player and he was uh, an actor. Um, And we had conversations about that and, you know, um, just sort of – Osmotically, I, I think I received a lot from my dad and other men around him in the world of baseball and in acting, and uh, sort of made my own way. What was the injury in baseball? Uh, rotator cuff. Ah, oh. leading the Texas League at the time. So, Were you really? Yeah, yeah. I was. I was going to Texas League. So that's gonna that's up to, there. Yeah, good league. Um, I was going to be going to Salt Lake in a week, and uh, at the time, the second baseman for the Angels was hitting, I think, one thirty-eight or something. So I was. Headed there, but 
again, people ask me all the time, you think you could have played in the big league? Well, of course you can play there. Anybody, you could have played in the big league. I don't even know if you I could have played. played. Yeah, you could. It's whether or not you could <laughs> succeed yeah. is the question that can only be answered by playing 14, 15 years, you know, again, without injury. Because you know, you might have three, four good years, and then they begin to figure you out, and, and you don't begin to figure them out, and you're going downhill and you're out of the game. You have to continually in that game uh, figure out how to, you have to find a way. So wait, so what kind of second baseman were you? Were you like the power and batting? Were you a speed guy? What were you? No, I had um, I had a little better than average speed, but I was uh, I was a good infielder. Went to my left very well. Went to my right okay. By turn a double play with anybody. Yeah, and um, I was uh, you know my career average and pro ball was two ninety three, and I was uh, before that I you know I I'd always hit well. I was switch hitter. I could do a lot of things. Move, I could move runners. I was I was good at uh, hitting the ball the opposite field. I was a real student of the game. My dad was a, a real student of the game, yeah. and, and I grew up with that. And I was also a student of a, of a man named Hank Robinson, who was a, a great, again, in an osmotic way, great guy to emulate in terms of hitting and understand hitting and feel like a hitter and, and begin to understand the things about yourself, whereas my dad was also someone who, uh, made me keep books on, or taught me to keep books on pitchers and understand who they are and begin to find out who the man is and, and wh- what he wants to go to in a certain situation. And then, of course, he's doing the same thing on you. It's a real yeah. psychological, it's a real psych- psychological game, psychological war. And, you know, all the players, for the most part, once you get to a higher level, they're all pretty good. I don't understand why you weren't in a baseball movie. They're, they made like a hundred baseball movies. Yeah, they're all bad except for a few. <laughs> there was one that I was going to do, and it's actually kind of an, an interesting, fun story. Uh, uh, Ronnie Shelton and I were together uh, working on a different movie. Uh, yeah, uh, I forget the. It was uh, Best of Times, I think it was, and uh, <clears throat> which Ronnie had written. Yeah, uh, and uh, he, at one point he said, "You know, we should we should do the baseball movie. It's never really been written." the one that we would like. And I yeah. said, yeah. And he said, what do you think that is? And I remember saying, because it's always written from the fan's point of view. It's always written by a, a writer who was a fan of the game. It's not written by a guy who played the game, and that's probably why. And I said, I think the point of view should literally, and we both agreed because we were saying it at the same time, should be from the point of view of a woman. you got to understand that baseball, especially in those days, I think it's changed a little, but at heart, baseball players are still the same. We would prefer to play in front of uh, a full crowd of all women. We don't care if there's any men in the stands. <laughs> just, it, has, it was no, of no interest that there were men in the stands. It was only that, who's that girl in the third row? You, yeah. know, you, know, you know, in the on-deck circle, the in the the deck circle you, yeah. and, you and the guy in the hole are talking about important things in life. Like, who yeah. is? Do you see that blonde over there? And um, <laughs> it had to be told from the point of view of, of that, that person, that, that view. And I thought Ronnie did a great job of locking into that and finding that. So anyway, uh, make a longer story, fun story short. Um, uh, Kevin Costner ended up doing that movie because he could get a better deal with Costner at the time than he could with me at different studios and whatnot. So so uh, you could was, have been Crash Davis. Well, a lot of that's my life story. <laughs> as, yeah. as Ronnie put it, what do I do? I said, go make the movie and die. <laughs> we remained, I say that as we remained great friends and we got to do a, a movie that I really loved doing with Ronnie. Um, called Dark Blue, and it's one of my favorite experiences as an actor. Yeah, uh, and Ronnie's a terrific. Would have been nice to be Crash character. Davis, though. Uh, yeah, I think so. I, 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 I very, very rarely have. <laughs> it's written... a great speech in that. Well, movie. I very written that. Well, oh, you mean the cockeye fastball? The, 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 Thank uh, you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, uh, well, no. There's another speech which is you know the toughest thing a manager has to do is let a ball. And I, that was how I answered my phone call to Ronnie when I was going to have the conversation about what happened here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say there about Ronnie. But I'm just, I'm a fan, and I think he's a, a, has done some great stuff and terrific stuff. And I'm just really glad we got the opportunity to work together. He's been a, gr- a good friend of mine for a long time. And anyway, the, there's only a few, as far as I'm concerned, um, baseball movies that are are really in any way, shape, or form connecting to the real thing. And that one's got a little, even that one's got a little bit of a of a slap shot aspect to it. Um, it's a little more of a rom com. Uh, I've never seen. I, I don't think there's ever been a um, a movie, as far as I'm concerned, that is centered around a ball player that is a drama that you really get involved in. That's not just the fun 
boyish aspect of what's great about the game of baseball and how it connects to Americans. What would you think of For Love of the Game? Because I think that tried to do a lot of yeah, what I you're liked talking for about. Love of the game. I don't remember seeing it a lot, and I don't know if I've seen it from the top. Was that the perfect game? Costner, perfect Costner, game. Perfect game. It got lost in like this whole rom com side of yeah. it. And the baseball I, yeah. stuff again, was much I, better. Again, you know, it's it, it. That's you know, that's it's good. I, I remember reading it, uh, watching it, and uh, it's good. Oh, what I was going to say, I know what I was going to say. I don't want to say it. Uh, I've never written fan letters and anything, but after, and I was really, you know, I was, I didn't really care if they did succeed it or not once I was going to do it because it hurt a little bit because it was a lot of my life. Yeah. And uh, I went to the, watch the movie the day it came out and I wrote Costner and Ronnie Shelton the fan letter and said, way to go guys. You, you, you did great. You really did great. Cause I, I was impressed with what Kevin was able to do. With it. Had I played it, would it have been different? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, you always, you know, ifs, ands and Peter Pan's who cares? Field of Dreams, yes or no? Eh. Hmm? It's 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 like the natural. I liked it. I like it for its. Uh, I like it for what it's about. You know, it's a dream. It's I love a, the natural. It's a thing, and 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 I get what's really touching about it. As a ball player, it, it's not touching on the things I'm. They, I'm that I'm, resonate I'm, with you. Yeah, that resonate with me. As a, I love to see. Major League? I'd love to see it. No, that's just a clown show. That's fun. I mean, it's fun. Look, it's it's fun. But you, again, it's that's written from a fan. I think a, you got to write the fan. movie. You got to do it. Well, that's, you know, yeah. I mean, there's that possibility. But now I'm long long from being no, that, I don't that think, interested in the game, you know. Listen, if Redford can play the natural at age 55 or whatever well, it was, I think you can. I that think answers be a the long question. Re- I know I'm a Robert Redford fan, but <laughs> don't give me a he was I think he was 46, actually. I looked into it and I was like. He's 46? You know, but it's sweet. Wonder, Wonder Boy was a cool, it's a, that's a cool, it's a Sandlot approach. It's like what's, it's what's dreamy about it. It's not, it's not the, the perils and the reality of the difficulty of the psychology of a human being who has right. one way out, and that is baseball. That's with a bat, a glove, and a ball. Can you get to a level of living a life that you want to through that, through those instruments? That's a for me because I lived it. It was a that's a compelling thing. It wasn't a clown show right. for me. It wasn't a, and for me it was interesting because wherever I went as a young ball player, you know, to the. To the, to the fans who didn't know anything, Southern California, everybody knew, they, all the ballplayers know each other because you play, you're gonna, and if you're going to play pro ball, you're going to go through Southern California at some point. So I knew about all the ballplayers, and the ballplayers knew me, but the fans that I went to, the, you know, the uh, uh, visiting um, ballparks, they only knew me, <laughs> they only knew me as an actor, like yeah. a Disney actor, and was like, what, what is this? What, what is this? So it was kind of always fun for me and some of my ballplayer friends because they said, well, they're going to find out this guy can hit right and um anyway that's, that's what about baseball, what right? if you're a retired pitcher who decides to get back in and just takes a ton of hgh to try to have one more season that could that's you, not the way to do it no okay as All a right. retired no you better I've, go i worked very i worked at one time fairly closely with the guy who did come back late in age and it's not hgh there's only one pitch you're going to do that with knuckleball that's it what if you're Jim Bouton came back with a knuckleball? What if you're uh, he was a retired knuckleballer? He was, well, if you're ret- knuckleballers are never retired. <laughs> you know, they're, if they get, if they if they if they throw the good knuckleball on that day, you ain't going to hit it. But I mean, that's just the way it is. But but Bouton came to the Portland Mavericks, which was a club that my dad and I owned. But well, that was the Ball Four sequel, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, no. Have you ever seen um, uh, Batter Bastards of Baseball? Yeah. Yeah. That okay. So Bouton was with that club, and he was starting his comeback. And my dad gave him his chance, as it were, a place to go to get started again. And uh, and I caught him quite a bit when he was working. And I had a pretty good knuckleball myself, so we we kind of talked about it. his knuckleball really could move. Mm. And when he when he had control of it, and he had you know, I think I think he when he made it back to the big league, I believe it was with the Giants, and I think he went four and two. And he was, I don't know how old he was. Well, the Negro so, brothers you know, were in their mid-40s. Well, yeah, I mean, if you can throw, throwing you know, 200 innings. Tim Wakefield, I mean, you can go yeah. through the list. Well, you know. So Elvis was your big break, you think? The TV movie? I remember watching that as a change. kid. It, it was, was big, my big, big change. chance. Your big break is always your first job. Yeah. Um, which in my case was a um, our man Higgins. I don't even okay. remember where it was. So your big chance. But your big, your big, your bre- my big then I had a chance at Disney, you know, when I got uh, went over there to do Follow Me Boys. Uh, that was a motion picture break. And working with, with Elvis Presley in, in uh, it happened at the World's Fair when I was just 10 years old. That was an opportunity. And then playing him 
was he still such... alive when you were filming it or no? no it was uh it was written when he was still alive but yeah. he died and so it added a degree of difficulty to it because there was this sense of gee it's only been 18 months since Elvis died and they're already doing this you know that that's sort of the way things were at that yeah. time you didn't you didn't jump on that it looked it was bad form but this was already in in the in the in motion but it was um it was stepping out so far I mean, there's a really nice man, an actor, Treat Williams, very good actor, and he and I were kind of one of some of the guys that were <clears throat> one of the three or four or two uh, down at, to the last. Who's it going to be? And I remember Treat one time and said, "He said, he said if you if you get this, are you going to actually do it?" And I said, "What? What do you mean?" He said, "I said, what about you?" He said, "I don't know." And I said, "Why? What, what do you mean?" He said, "Come on, it's like you know, I don't know. It's, you're playing Elvis. I mean, this is like." Elvis, I, yeah, the, it was the like, biggest. I said, yeah, star. I never thought of that. I just yeah. thought, well, it's just, a, it's just a job. It's just, you know. Um, but I had confidence in doing it, and I'd actually kind of fooled around, you know, in my life. I, I but play, I fooled around my life, imitating, thinking about Elvis doing it with some on the on the bus with ball players, you know. But when you're going to do it seriously, it's a whole different thing. But I did have my experience working with him for a couple of weeks uh, to draw on, which had happened 17 years earlier. Uh, but that was primarily what I got to draw from. And then I had a lot of material given to me to be able to look at because I didn't know much about Ellis Presley. Didn't, I didn't know Did you lip sync or did you actually sing? Lip sync, and it, which, it made it more difficult because I thought I was going to sing. Yeah. And so I'm rehearsing these songs and getting them ready. And then about a week or two before we started shooting, in comes, uh, they never, ever thought of me singing and doing it. And I was, because I, you know, and I was learning it from Elvis's songs. Yeah. So I was, then I was learning to lip sync to Elvis, as it were, but I was going to maybe do the voice. I didn't, we didn't know. And then they decided to go with, um, oh, it's terrible. I can't know. Ronnie, yeah, it's terrible to not know the man's name. He's such a good, uh, he was such a, a really good singer and also had the ability to uh, imitate Elvis, but it was slightly different. And I realized then that I had to, Kind of sell Elvis a little more because it wasn't his. It really you wasn't saw the his charisma voice. and the. It just was different. I mean, it's not the, the, it's not the scowl, original. Scowl, all that. It's stuff. not the original. Well, you don't do that. You don't. You, you can't do that. You don't. You don't. The faces? Do, no. No, yeah, that's not the way to go. About it. Well, Bill, that, Bill, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> that's just not the wrong approach. That's what, the wrong approach. Yeah. Tell me what you do. You understand the human being. Okay. If I'm going to play you, yeah, I'm going to find out things about you. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm seeing your. I'm watching your. The way you sit. The way you think. You're on the. You. I'm, I'm sitting, sitting back. Comfortably right I'm now. I'm sitting back. You and I are kind of different people that way. You're. You're comfortable, but you're. No, forward. I, I you're, didn't. I wanted but I'm to say. If like, I'm gonna play you, I'm not gonna play you like I'm, I'm doing back. right now. Right. Yeah. Well, now you're doing me. Right. <laughs> That's you playing me. Okay. But I'm just telling you how I would do it, which is you. You get to understand the human being, and I, right. what I learned about Elvis was that Elvis, in a way, learned to play Elvis Presley. He wasn't that. And when you see him early in, his, early in his life, he's quite different than he became five, six, seven years later. Did you have to gain a lot of weight for like the last stage? No, we, Elvis didn't, or we that? didn't get. You we didn't that do that. Was, it was uh, pull it De Niro. It was uh, before that. Ours finished in '69 when he came back in Vegas, and he was going to go back on, and he was very nervous about it and very unsure of what was going to happen. So. I, I remember loving it. I don't think it's been on... Sometimes these things come back. I can't remember the last time it's been even on. Yeah, I don't, I don't, Sometimes I don't, they just disappear into the... Hey, the I, you know, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. Escape from New York. One of my all-time favorites. John Carpenter. Great Who talent. also directed Halloween, which is another one of my all-time favorites. So I was predisposed to like this movie. An unbelievable premise... Although, yeah. in retrospect, it was 16 years later, New York City has been turned into a maximum security prison. Yeah. And now it's like 36 years later. It's, it's, maybe they should have put that in like well, 2050. It's metaphorical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's metaphorical. Uh, I thought it was a great idea, too. It was unbelievable. And, One of the uh, best ideas yeah. of any action movie. Yeah, and, and I had, uh, I, I, it was, you know, the, but the fact that John Carpenter stuck to his guns and wanted to cast me at that time, at that age, with what I'd done in the past, yeah, um, uh, there was the that was another uh, a continuing wonderful opportunity and break for me, yeah. <clears throat> and I don't, I very few directors would have would have looked at me and said, "I I want him to play this part," because the part itself was uh, uh, quite different from any 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 
character like that at the time. He wasn't it, a great guy. Well, that's the thing. It, all the movies with the, let's say, the 40-year-old uh, stalwarts of, of, of those kinds of, of a movie where a guy's going to get revenge or a movie's going to... But that was the point. I, I kind of jumped the gun there. All those characters had social redeeming values. Either yeah. their wives had been raped and burned in a Western, their family had been run over by, you know, by the, the, the mafia had come in. Whatever the situation was, the lead guy had a reason that we knew of to go wreak havoc or to go do what he's going to do yeah. and not be very happy about it or not whatever. This one didn't have that. This was, this was a guy who was, something had happened to him. He was a war hero. And something had happened to him. Who lost he, his way. No, he didn't lose his way. He found his way. <laughs> when found you're a psychopath. Yeah, when yeah. you're a psychopath and you don't know, it's <laughs> wonderful to find your way. <laughs> and he just became a, a one-man, I don't give a shit, wrecking crew. Yeah. Who wasn't... And what's interesting about the movie is he's not a wrecking crew. He's just... He's very... It's a very quiet movie. People have a tendency to hear about an Escape from New York, then see it and kind of go... Oh wow, that's kind of really different than I imagined from what I've heard. It's not an action movie. No, it's a it's a movie about a guy who is there because he's got those things in his neck. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there, president or not. My favorite line in that movie is "President of what?" Right. You know, he just doesn't care. He he, he just doesn't care. He just you, you know, if you get deeper and deeper into Snake Plissken, which is you know they're talking about doing sequels and things like that to it. You have to understand some things about Snake Plissken, I think, that are very important. First of all, he's American. There's a reason he's in that ring with a baseball bat with nails in it. Yeah. Because I'm playing him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good with that bat in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> he was an American. Yeah. He's not an international guy. He's not James Bond. He's the, the negative James Bond. Uh, he's American. That's, that's a very important thing. And the other thing is, is that, you know, to get further into him, and you know, if you watch the movie and you see it, he's... An escape artist. And the only thing he can't escape is himself. Wait, and I, that's that's the thing that makes him the way he is. Yeah. So anybody who's going to do the... He is, what he's going to do in the future should, I think, look at that and begin to understand that about that character. And, and you have to have a cert, certain sense of humor, I think, to find the balance that makes it, him work for the audience. It's a Netflix series if it comes back. I think it's like 13 episodes yeah, where in I New mean, York you know, and a maximum like security. Make, I like to make remakes because they are flawed. Either they're flawed in casting or they're flawed in the screenplay. Yeah. When it's not, when you don't have that, <clears throat> you face <clears throat> an uphill battle. In, in doing anything that you're going to do that John Carpenter did, you're facing a different battle. John Carpenter has a, a look at life that is just different from anybody else's. It's what gives him, I think, his great talent. My- my rule on remakes is if if I can still watch it and I still enjoy the hell out of it, don't remake it. Well, there's nothing sacred, you know. I mean, John and I, I did. The I think Snake Pliskin's a but, little bit but, sacred. Well, yeah, I know what you mean because people people feel <laughs> I that just, way. I wouldn't enjoy you know, yeah, it unless people, people feel that way. Yeah, about it, right. Well, or or at best, or at worst, I become Sean Connery, who is James Bond. I don't care. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you can. I I know a lot of the guys that play. They're all really good. But Sean Connery. But Sean Connery is James Bond. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Um, so leave it alone, but I, I'm kind of that way, but it's like John and I did the thing, which is a remake, but John didn't do the thing that was made as a movie. He did the book who goes there and they use the title, the thing and a movie. The thing is a movie that's connected to nuclear, the future of potential of nuclear power and what's, what's going to fall on your head from above. What's going to come to earth. The thing was a movie. The, the John Carpenter's the thing is a movie that, that, as he said to me, I said, "What's this movie about, John?" He said, "Paranoia." And I said, "Oh, great! <laughs> I mean, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. A, a seven foot carrot maybe was cool in the fifties. I don't know, but um, I, I, you know, and, and that's and that's a great Howard Hawks made a great movie. I mean, it's a classic horror film. I like I like the sort of more thriller aspect or the psychological aspect of of paranoia." And if you put 12 people, 12 men in a in McMurdo Station in the Antarctic and you give them this particular problem, I, 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 I like watching the human being, the, the, the decay, you know, the decomposition of everything happening right. through your own. And finally, to the point where you don't know for you don't know yourself if you're you, you know, and what, if we're, what if we're one. already all what if we're all what if, what if this happened and we're already just imitations of 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 our ancestry? Um, I, I love that kind of what if stuff. 
did Snake you had to be at wear an eye patch the whole time? Snake to me was a guy who had been injured. I also wanted to, and John was great this way. I said, I, I think he should wear an eye patch. And, and John immediately went, Yeah, nobody's worn an eye patch since John Wayne. And <laughs> true grit. Hey, wait, I like that idea. Why? I said, I don't know. It's just something about, I think that he's got an injury that will, he will care, he will physically, visually carry with him. And if you mm. look at my snake, he's always slightly in pain. Like it's something like something happened to his eye that wasn't quite fixed. And it's, 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 it's a constant, he's trying to constantly look past it. Yeah. Or it has abilities that we don't know about. Oh, that's because it was a futuristic picture. Yeah. So maybe he's going to lift that eye patch at some time and (laughs) shoot you with it. (laughs) Something who knows, you know, the biggest flaw with that movie, as much as I love Donald Pleasance and he was the rock of Halloween, the American president with the foreign accent. Yeah, well, that was the no. That's intentional. What was intentional about it? It's the future. Even it's the, the future. It, yeah, think about it. Even the future doesn't. <laughs> the president doesn't come from here. <laughs> it's a, that's a concern, and you right. got it. <laughs> Silkwood, you're with Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. the uh, the most successful actress of all time, mm-hmm. and the greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you remember I, I, about that was, one? Yeah, well, what I remember was you know, um, you know, um, meeting Mike Nichols. And it was great. Uh, Mike, when I met him, I was doing a play. I was, you know, making a career move, doing a play in Los Angeles. I wasn't a stage actor, so I'd never done one, so I was going to do And out of that came an interview with Mike Nichols to, to do this movie that he was going to be coming back after seven years of not having made any movies. And Meryl Streep was going to play the play that part. And I think she, and Cher was cast. She was, was going to be Meryl. I'm pretty sure that was the case. And they were casting this the guy who's kind of with both of them as friends and lovers and that kind of thing. <clears throat> and uh, I uh, went to meet Mike, and I knew who Mike Nichols was. I'd I'd, I'd love the the Graduate, and I love Catch Twenty Two, and once and so this would be interesting to talk about that stuff. And he sits down, and he says right away, he said, "Now, what would I know you from?" Now, I was 32 years old. I'd starred in a lot of movies. I'd been yeah. around for, already I'd been around for what? I started when I was, I'd been around for 22 years. But it struck me as very simple. Well, if you haven't seen me, you wouldn't know me from anything. So I said, nothing. What would you know me from? Nothing. I mean, that's clear. That's clearly the, the, the answer. The, the answer. Yeah. The, the reality is you wouldn't know me. If you don't know me, you wouldn't know me from, you don't, you've just said you don't know me. And he went, okay. He said, do you want to read? And I said, well, I don't. Want to, but you know, I hate reading. I said, it's all, when you cold read, you just read yourself out of stuff. So I said, but I, you, if you want to read, I'm, I'm here. Let's, let's read. And he went, nah, 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 I guess not. No, no, no. And we talked for a few minutes, and he said, that's, he said, great, nice meeting you. And I thought, okay, you know, and that was that. And um, very quickly, Mike Nichols wanted me to do the movie, so I was going to do the movie. And then, about, I don't know, maybe a month and a half into it, somebody said, somebody asked him because it wasn't me. You know why? Why did you? Why, why was Kurt your your choice here? Because at that time I was still the kind of actor that people were going, "What? What? what why is Kurt Russell working with Mike Nichols?" I don't get. I mean, share what? I get Meryl Streep. I get that. But what? You know. But it was a mix that he was looking for, right? And he said, "Oh, it's really simple." He said, uh, "When I first met Kurt, I asked him one question, and he answered it honestly." He said, "And I and I, and I needed someone who." The audience knew was absolutely 100% telling the truth, always. And I said, what was the question? He said, I asked you, if I, what would I know you from? And you said, nothing. <laughs> I said, so I, I had my guy. <laughs> he said, yep, that guy will tell you the truth. <laughs> well, that's what you're going to get. So that was what he wanted to see in that character. And also someone who would uh, portray a guy who was honestly in love with Meryl Streep's character and could make you feel that. Yeah, she had a she had a man who loved her very much, and found her sexy and beautiful yeah. and and all that. It's it was great working with Merrill. Yeah, uh, too, and Cher. I, I just we had a ball. We we all lived in close proximity, and and uh, it was just a wonderful experience. A great time. It always felt like uh, we were just sort of on the set living together and off the set living together. It was a real communal feeling. Um, we were all young and, and, and enjoying, uh, just enjoying each other's company a lot. Yeah. Um, 
they, they had children. It was really, I had really fun, a uh, fun time with the, some of the children that, that were, in, that were around at that time, shares and Merrill's and Don's children, children and Merrill and Don and, and uh, I became um, friend, friends on that movie and have, we, we, we remained somewhat in contact with each other for the rest of our lives and wonderful people. They're great. She's a great person. And so is Don and shares a great, a great, interesting gal. Um, it, it really just was a, but Mike was, you know, the leader of the leader of the little family that we, yeah. that we were having. And it was a, a, just a really wonderful experience. And I thought really a, an effective movie. Swing shift. Is that where you meet Goldie? Well, what was interesting about that was Goldie Hawn was now going to do this movie and I was living in Colorado. So I was coming in, going to come in to meet the director. And I thought, well, I'm going to come all the way from Colorado to meet the director. That's great that I'm, you know, being considered for the male lead in in this Goldie Hawn movie. But is Goldie going to be there? No, <clears throat> she's not going to be able to make it. I said, well, what's the point of me coming to meet the director if I'm going to eventually have to meet Goldie Hawn? Because if it's a Goldie Hawn movie, I'm sure she's going to have to say yes. So they, yep, agreed, agreed with that and came in and kind of met. But when I I came. The reason I thought it was really interesting for me, again, young act, young actor, not youngish, but young actor at that time. I had just worked with the best and top of the top of the line uh, dramatic actress in the world, playing her uh, paramour. Yeah, and uh, and now that was the opportunity to immediately do something quite different with the number one comedian. Who was Goldie Hawn? Who had the title for that was like year ten of having that title too. Yeah, and 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 she was producing the movie as well. And yeah, so she was. You know, Goldie was. You know, uh, yeah, very different in that in, in in how far ahead of the game she was. She was she was doing things no no other women were doing. Yeah, and uh, and getting that opportunity, I thought was yeah. Regardless of what it is, almost it's like let's go do this. You want to work with Meryl Streep? You want to work with Goldie Hawn? You know, this is this is this is a good thing to do, and uh, and I met Goldie, and for the first time, really, uh, I, I married Season Hubley off of meeting Season when we did Elvis together, and I, I was always, I'd always been a Season Hubley fan. I'd seen her in some in some television shows yeah. and things. And I just thought she was adorable. She was great, and we divorced uh, uh, less than two and a half years later, or three years or something. And that was one of those things where, as a young man, I sort of said in the back of my head, well, okay, that actresses and you are not a good idea. That's just not a good idea. You know, you're, you, you, whatever your part is in it, Kurt, you're, yeah. you're responsible for that. Yeah. So take responsibility. and Stay away. Just realize something about yourself that you don't see. And then I met Goldie, and <laughs> for the first time ever, I'd, I'd never asked. Uh, I can't remember asking an actress out on a date. I mean, I'd bit, spent time with actresses, but I don't remember saying, you know, let's go here or whatever. But I remember shortly after me, the first thing I said when I walked through the door to meet Goldie, and I, I was terribly hungover because I was with my dad. I had just received, I think, my d- divorce papers or something the night before, and I'd been with my dad at the bar till like four in the morning, had this early nine o'clock meeting. So I got up er- early like, to get down there and make sure I was there and just get on the couch and fall asleep. And I told the secretary, I'm here when Goldie's ready. And she's, you know, I, she said, well, you're early. I said, yeah, I just want to, I'm here. Look, just wake me up when, and I'll go in there. <laughs> Can I have some coffee? <laughs> you know, yeah, it was really, it was really rough. I mean, I'd been drinking heavy the yeah. night before with my dad. We were, we were, we were, you know, going over things. And uh, I just remember walking in the door. We said, you know, open the door. And I walked in, and here was this. Now I I know who Goldie Hawn is, but I'm not a Goldie Hawn fanatic. I don't know everything she's done, or I've seen her once. Right, my one of my my uh, uh, cousins had actually worked as an assistant director with her, and my best friend Jimmy Van Wyke. That was Jack Philbrick, my best friend at the time. One of my two best friends, Larry Franco and Jimmy Van Wyke, who were both in the business, and I was very closely connected to, um, had worked with her. And they loved her. They just thought she was great. You know, she's a great person and loved her. Anyway, I <clears throat> that was pretty much what I knew about Goldie. And I'd seen Laugh-In. I was not a gigantic Laugh-In watcher. Uh, and, but Goldie and I had worked together in 1966 um, on 
the one and only genuine original family band with uh, at Walt Disney Studios. It was her first movie. She was a dancer. Mm. Now I knew of that, but I didn't. You know, she had neither she or I remember that specifically. I mean, we saw each other, and we were. I was six, 15, 16, and she was like I don't know, late teens, twenty. And uh, so now I'm meeting her really for the first time in 1982, and the door opened, and she's there, and she had jeans on and. Uh, suspenders and a, and a tank top, you know, and I, I just, I, I, it literally came out of my mouth. Wow, you've got a great figure. <laughs> I, I, I had never thought of Goldie Hawn in a, in a, in that way, in a, in a like, you're built, man. Yeah, you look good. And, and I and I literally caught my see. But instead of her going, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I don't know who you think you are. She kind of went, well, thank you. Oh, that's I, it. Now, she now went, you I, know. Well, thank you. And I said, yeah, I, I just, uh, sorry. I, uh, you know, she said, well, let's talk about the movie. I said, yeah. And I watched her put one hat, I take one hat off and put another hat on. And I was, that was immediately it. impressed. And we talked about it. And I was, I wasn't having any trouble like with my hangover. I was just, I was just having a great, fun, immediate conversation with this, 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 this beautifully figured really cute and increasingly fascinating girl uh, who was calling the shots. And uh, I didn't know where anything was with this. And again, I, I just been that actor. I didn't, you know, look, what's going to happen is going to happen. I didn't much care. I, I, you, 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 you can want something, whatever you, you can go through your life wanting anything. Guys, you know, if it's meant to happen and you're meant to do it and it's going to happen or not. And that was my, that was my point of view with it. And um, anyway, she, she decided that this was the one she thought was right for the movie. We then met again later with Jonathan Demi, who was young in his career. Wow. And became a t- spectacular director. You cut, you cut some good ones early. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, uh, very quickly, though, when I met Goldie, I didn't. The movie was the movie, but I very quickly was like, hey, you know the thing in the back of your head about actresses? Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the deal with you? It was like the first day I went to work, I had to do this whole number with a horn, and I'd learned it for two weeks. And all I could think about was, you know, we may have to dance in this thing. And I really need to – I don't want to look bad. I want to look right. I know she's a dancer, and she can probably help me. But I need we need to go, like, get to some of that music. And I said to her that day, all I could think about was that. I was like, hey, yeah. you know, I, we need to do this. And she said, let's do it. And uh, I think so it was that a was Friday night. It was a Friday night. It was that was, I went work to work on, on a Wednesday. Dancing? I went to work on a Wednesday. We, we, worked, we worked Wednesday and Thursday on the, the musical stuff in the scene. And we worked Friday. And Friday night, we, we went out to go find a place. I had to, you know, find the place. I'm, I'm not a good date guy. So I was like, well, how, how, do you, how do you even do that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. So I finally uh, found, it was the Playboy Club. And, uh, you know. Uh, did the Playboy cl- went to the Playboy Club to, to do the dancing? Sat down about two and a half hours later, walked out. Never, never got up once. There was no dancing there. Yeah, I'd blown that, and I didn't care. Neither she. And two and a half hours later, we were we were uh, on That's our it. way to, on our way to thirty four years. <laughs> What's know? so that was a pre at the time a huge celebrity couple during the era it, it when wasn't. celebrity couples start actually it was coming. And, and no, it wasn't. Why do you Goldie say that? It wasn't. Was a huge celebrity. I was um, um, a, a well-known actor who had been around, and uh, I was not Warren Beatty. I was not Jack That's Nicholson. That's fair, but it was and, still and, and, no, two no, no, name when, people. No, when dating. you're not that guy, and the, the Hollywood zeitgeist kind of wants that to be there, it wasn't an immediate acceptance. It was interesting. And then it quickly became, oh, Wow. And and at that point, you know, um, I began to uh, my career began to be going in a different uh, on a different trajectory. Yeah. And then that fit. Uh, but yes, over the next <laughs> over the next long period of time, yeah, uh, we we became paparazzi uh, immediately. Yeah. Your life changed. Yeah. Well, I always had a good way of being able to kind of move around. You can't do that with Goldie Hawn. You, yeah, you know this is not that. that and then those days, especially was, in 1984, it was immediate. Yeah, and then it became. Then I be, be, became more well known myself, and and um, you know it became increasingly uh, the situation. Uh, and it was just always we just it was in the beginning it was tough for me because it was like wait a minute, <clears throat> I don't know if I want to sign on for this, but it didn't matter. Because if you're in love, you, you're going to figure out a way to deal with it. You better figure out a way. When to did deal you with. hit the stage where you're reading stuff in magazines or whatever that just is completely not true? 
Oh, well, that's happened the, since I was 10. Well, I mean, I, yeah, right. The press never tells the truth. They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in what they want to say. That's just the way it is. Sometimes it can be good for you. Sometimes it can be bad for you. Sometimes, you know, and what happens is sometimes you just look at it in amazement and go, of course, my favorite thing about that is, and I'm going to just, I'm just going to pick a name here when I get to it. It's not, it's not, it's not going to it's be connected or true okay. or anyway. All right. <clears throat> but this is my theory on that. Because it's, I have to look to myself, like look in the mirror. I remember going to the, uh, you know, you read stuff about yourself and you go, you've got to be kidding me. Where did that come from? How, how could they even dream that one up? I mean, what, what you know, this, that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> and I always, and I became very well known for just saying, yeah, 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 I did that. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. I just said, I'm going to say yes to everything and they'll let you guys parcel it out because none of it's true. So it doesn't make any difference to me. Or those close to me. It's just not. That's just not what happened. That's just I. I, I don't even know that person, or that didn't. That situation. I wasn't even in the country at that time. Whatever it was. And so you know, it's completely insane. And I always kind of, you know, think it's kind of funny. Yeah. And then at other times it's not. It's kind of aggravating, but you just go whatever. And um, but I'm that person who goes to the grocery store, local grocery store. And then there's the whatever, the National Enquirer, or the Star, or the Globe, or whatever it is. They're all right there, right? And you're waiting in line, and, you know, because you got, you know, you, bought, you got three packs of cigarettes and an apple, right? <laughs> and so you're waiting in this line for the, the woman who's got the three babies and, and, and all, the, all the, you know, baby diapers she's got to get through. And so you got nothing to do, and you're reading, and I open it up. And now I, I've, I've read so many things about myself or people that I know that are just completely insane, right? But I'm the guy who goes there, open it up, and you're flipping around, and you go, Oh, oh, that's kind of crazy. Oh, gee, John Travolta. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kinda, you know what? Yeah. God. Damn. You just talk yourself and into it. No, yeah. you immediately buy it. You yeah. immediately go, yeah, whatever. You flip the page, and there, there's another one about you, and you go, what are they talking? What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so you, when it's about you, you know that you know that it's insane, but when it's about somebody else, you have this tendency to just go, uh-huh. You know, I've even had, you know, my family, my mom, my sisters, and I say, guys, Guys, just don't. Don't. It's just what they do. And now in the age of the internet, it's, I guess, even more so. I don't know. I don't, I don't kind of. Yeah, I think, I think that was a better time. It's been so long now. And now it's that, I must say that's kind of like history. So we, I I did a bad job of pacing because we have more movies to go through and we're going to run out of time. Go through and we'll do, you tell me, I got, you got to tell me I got 30 seconds and I'll do it in 30 seconds. What's, I'll try to give you the highlight. Best in times, that's your first (laughs) sports movie. But let's Robin Williams really quickly. Tremendous talent. And finally had to go to Robin and say, Robin, I have to have this conversation with you. He said, what? I said, every time you tell a joke, I, I'm just telling you right now, I think it's incredibly funny and you're incredibly funny doing it. But I can't go through every day laughing all day at your jokes because I'm afraid if I don't, you're going to keep working at it and, and you're going to wear <laughs> Trying to win you over. I, yeah. have to do, I have to just do my part. But I yeah. just want you to know, I think it's hysterical. I think you're hysterical. It's hysterical. And just know that because sometimes I'm just going to walk away and be thinking about something else. But you don't have to, you know, you don't have to think I didn't think it was funny. He was great, funny. Um, he was just wired like that all the time. Exhaustingly so. Yeah. Yeah. He just Ex- had to always make people laugh all the time. Exhaustingly so. Yeah. 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 Um, Tequila Sunrise. Uh, uh, you played really, the part that was was it written for Pat Riley or did you consult no, Pat Riley? What it, was it that was deal? Written probably as Bob. I've heard Bob talk about Bob Town talk about that a little bit. That, that Another Riley great was his 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 impression in his head. Yeah, in his head, and he, and I think he was interested in casting Riley. That we never talked about that much, but I worked closely with Bob on that because you had the Riley hairstyle in that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I listen. I. I, it's like I love to do that with directors. It was weird that you were it's carrying like, a clipboard, though. It's that, like, I didn't well, who's your, that. who's your, um, who's your, you know, I like to ask the director, who's your perfect casting, so that I can understand what's in your head that you're going for, so that I can kind of understand that, you know. And you're not gonna hurt my feelings. I just want to know where you where, where you were going in your head. And uh, it was a tremendous opportunity to work with maybe the best screenwriter we've ever had. I don't know. He's been referred to that many times i think he's phenomenal i think i learned from him how to read a screenplay and work on a movie and not only the desire for all actors to have uh not the plot move the story but their 
characters move the plot. He he's so deeply into the character so quickly that the what 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 the character doesn't say moves the plot. I learned that from him from watching that with him. Mel Gibson and I became friends on that movie. I I I just think the world of Mel. Um, I think he's one of the funniest people I know. He's he's a very interesting man. Smart. I would say, <laughs> yeah, no, he really is. I mean, he really is. He he's <clears throat> he 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 has taken. It's a bit like I understand Mel because I come from a world of baseball where the sense of humor is absolutely slicing and barbaric at times, and I think deeply funny because it gets to the core of something about you and or the situation. Mel has some of that. To me, he has some of that culture from Australia, the Australian male. There's a culture there that's very different from the American or English or Spanish male. It's, it's Australian, and it is unique. And I think Mel carries that with him, what he, what he somehow grew up with there. And as an American, he has an interesting combination of it. He can turn a phrase with anybody. And I just think sometimes what other people would find not funny, I would find absolutely, I did find and do find it hysterical. And I think he's a spectacular director. And uh, all praises. Couple drinks on the set with Mel? I can think of no more fun way of spending uh, <laughs> a, a month, a month on an island than with Mel and endless boxes of beer and booze and having just saying, let her rip, babe. I want to hear it all. I just think because it, now, will, it, will you get to the point where you're going, Mel, 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 come on, man. It's like, sure. That's, that's, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little looser in that regard. I come from an era where we weren't quite so precious. I think people's feelings get, I, I just think we live in a time now where I, I kind of look at that and just, I've, I've learned to kind of walk away and be quiet because I realized that, I mean, I, I should say I've learned, but I haven't succeeded. I mean, I still say things that to me are, you know, it's like, I, I like, I think it's funny as hell. And somebody else might go, God, come on. Right. That's awful. And I go, well, what? I'm, it's not, it's a, it's, I'm literally not, I'm basing it on reality. Don't tell me it's not, <laughs> but I'm just making a farce out of it. Don't you get that? I mean, and by, but there's, there's that, trillionth of a second thought goes through your head you just say ah oh, fuck it walk away people are very uptight in 2017 what's that they're very uptight in 2017 gee you think yeah <laughs> i do <laughs> this, my mom and i talk about this a lot my mom's like oh these these people oh god I, oh. well it's just generational we yeah. i mean you know your it's, generation it's, was a lot more seat by the pants let it fly yeah. tango and cash sly, sly. stallone just sly, all about sly and uh, Swayze decided not to do uh, Tango and Cash. My uh, brother-in-law was producing it and found out immediately. He said, God, this would be great for Kurt. He'd be great for this movie. And Sly liked me and because uh, I had met Sly before. And I really liked him. I just We got, got along. We had good laughs. And he, Sly was all for that. And, uh, you know, very quickly I was doing that movie. I wanted to do it because I wanted, uh, I wanted the mix, the opportunity – and the guilt by association of being a movie star. I needed that. I needed to be... In an A-list action flick. I just needed to be connected to that. Yeah. And Sly was the perfect guy to do that with. Because we, we were good foils for each other. And um, it's on a lot. have fun. Boy, it's on a lot. Have fun. It did well. It's on, it's on oh, like yeah, it's year 30. Oh, yeah, it's a 15-year-old boys. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a movie for 15 to 17-year-old boys. I mean, that's your core audience. And we knew that. And Sly was completely you know he's completely locked into an understanding of that and yeah uh he was just he i was uh you know treated uh amazingly well by sly he was great i period flat out fantastic and i i love seeing him puts a smile on my face and uh, a big feeling of uh, fondness in my heart every time i see him and think about him he's just, i just really like him it might be the most sarcastic action movie of all yeah, time. Yeah, It's definitely yeah. in the top three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a lot of sarcasm there's flying of, around. Yeah, there's a lot Fists of Fists and sarcasm. Yeah, like- <laughs> <laughs> that could have been the name of the movie. Um, what was your biggest what if that was in Bull Durham then? Because you said like that what one, that one somebody else could have taken Tanko and Cash. Is there a movie that you were like, oh man, I almost got that one or I could have done that, but I was oh, scheduling a conflict? Oh, there are a lot of movies I didn't do because uh, either it didn't fit into my into my life at that time. Yeah. Uh, or I didn't, uh, there was something about the movie 
I didn't. I that turned you off? Yeah, that I wasn't going to feel comfortable doing. Yeah, so what, of, so what's the of, biggest, I don't uh, want to say regret. It, you know what? I get asked that question all the time, and I don't like on. it. Here, there's two reasons I don't like it. Okay. I don't like another actor learning that. It's not a, right. good, it's not a good feeling okay. for them. I've learned that. Um, I've named a couple of them in the past, and I've learned to just keep my mouth shut about that. It's not. I, I turn a lot of them down for a lot of different reasons. Um, and it doesn't matter. It, 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 again, ifs, ands, and Peter Pants. Who cares? Not me. And I have no reason to tell someone, wait a minute, I, didn't, I wasn't the first choice of that movie that made me famous. I wasn't. A lot of actors are offended by that. I, I'm, I'm not, but um, they are. And I, and I kind of understand why. Yeah. Um, suffice it to say, there's been a lot of them. I have no regrets over not doing any of them. I have no regrets. I, my, my life is, you know, my life, you, you're going to live your life. It's going to do what it's going to do. You're going to have whatever amount of control you have over it, and you're going to do things that are right and things that are wrong and, uh, in terms of what was best for your career and all that. I just wanted a varied one. I wanted to do things that other people maybe wouldn't be interested in, but I was interested in, and I continue to do that. Yeah. And um, it's the only way I know how to stay interested in this field. You know, and I, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to many times do it. Are there things you want to do that you don't get? Of course, sure, absolutely. That's the game. Let's go thirty second shot clock. Backdraft. Always wanted to work with Ronnie Howard ever since we were young men. I mean, going way back. Oh yeah, and you he's guys the were nicest child guy actor in the world. Pierce. Yeah, and he yeah. Was just a, he's just a, and and he'd become this really strong director. We had gone to each other with a couple of projects over the years that we either he didn't want to do or I didn't care to do. And along came this one and uh, had the opportunity to work on it as a, a, to work on the character in, a, in, in, form of, in the form of writing uh, with, uh, I believe his name was Greg Wyden, uh, for Ronnie. Uh, and, that, and, and, and the experience with all the players, uh, Billy Baldwin standing out, who's, again, a, just a sweetheart, <laughs> just a sweetheart, a great guy. All those guys were great. A great bonding experience with all the actors and firemen in that movie, and I thought that we had a challenge, which was to make firemen cool, and we did. Escape from L.A., 30 seconds. Uh, only real sequel I ever, only real sequel to a, to a movie they did. The people uh, just wanted it. They weren't going to be denied. For a long time. Yeah. And we did it. There were some interesting things about that 17 years later. 17 years after, uh, in Escape from New York, it was 17 years into the future. Yeah. 17 years after that, we did Escape from L.A. I was now getting older and I wanted to look, I, did, I, didn't want, I would never want to do Snake if I didn't look right. And I had, I had a couple, I had one or two years left to where I could do it. And, um, and John and I had, again, a, a, just a terrific time working together. I love working with John Carpenter, right. and that was what that was. Uh, Tombstone. Being Snake again was pretty cool, too. Um, Tombstone was a very difficult experience. Uh, it was a grind. It was unfortunate in that we, our director uh, uh, just was uh, uh, he, he was a spectacular writer, and he was as weak a director as he was good a writer. And we had a Who was the director? Uh, what was a man named Kevin Jar, who was a great writer, and he was getting his opportunity to direct, and it just was it just was not working, and uh, so it, it, you know he, he had to be replaced, and 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 a lot of it fell on my shoulders in terms of I had gone out and got the money for the movie, yeah, with Andy Vanya, another wonderful human being, and uh, gave us all the opportunity <clears throat> to do a western, which nobody really you know cared that much about, and uh, I thought that that cast, those actors, uh, who. Very few of them have any idea really what was going on in some ways on that movie because it just couldn't be told. And I promised I would never tell some of it. Uh, and I'll hold true to the promise. But the actors were great. Billy Paxton amongst them was just a great human being. Yeah. Uh, but Sam Elliott was fabulous to work with. Uh, all the, I, just, I can go through all the list of guys, but I have to say, my relationship from minute one with Val Kilmer was... One that I'm glad I, I'm so glad I've had in my life. Uh, he's really smart, very talented, and oh, what a joy to to be with. And he can also drive you completely crazy, which is I I think you got to have in a great relationship. I can we went to Spain 
We went all over Europe, actually, promoting, and Goldie was with us. And finally, there would be these times where I'd say, Val, I can't hear one more word. Take, you and Goldie go out tonight. <laughs> you guys go out and do the town. I cannot listen to one word. And he laughed. And he, go, well, he called me something blockhead. I think it was blockhead. Well, you blockhead. You're not going to ever come off of that position. Uh, I love him. I just uh, think the world of Val. And he uh, is a fascinating guy in that uh, there's a lot of, relationships Val's had with people that, uh, boy, they would listen to this and they go, I don't know what he's talking about. Val is a different person and uh, he's unique and he's, uh, I, I found him to be one of the most compelling actors to work with in terms of his vision of what these people were and who they were to each other and why. Uh, endlessly interesting and, and a great hang. Who's more fun at 4.30 in the morning after, like, 15 drinks, Mel Gibson or Val Kilmer? That's a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> Val, Val might not be drinking. He might be doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> Mel and I will be drinking. Val might be doing something else. You know, you're getting into the ayahuasca world, possibly, with, with, with Val. You know what I mean? It's good. It's going to... It's. That's a good one. That's a good night, actually. <laughs> Take that to the bucket of blood. <laughs> good Dark, guys, man. Dark Blue, 2002. Great opportunity to have a chance to work with uh, Ron Shelton on a very different kind of a movie. One of my favorite characters that I ever had the opportunity to play. Let's do it. Miracle. Miracle was a mediocre screenplay that had no... Um, opposite uh, side to uh, one of its one of its two you were watching two things you're watching a coach a man and you're watching a group of of young men the group of young men aspect of it was really pretty good but we already knew their story the group as opposed to the one man we didn't know that story and we didn't know the man I met her Brooks because uh, uh, with Gavin O'Connor, the director, great talent, also great knowledge because he played high-level football. It was, it's important in that movie to understand we're going to have to teach you some things. And you got to understand some of the aspects of the psychology and the personalities that, that, and how they deal with high-level sports, things that matter. And I had the opportunity to meet Herb Brooks because he was coming out to Vancouver, where we were living, because our son was playing junior hockey in Canada, which is a religion up there. And he was coming, Herb was coming out to scout. One of the things he was doing was scouting goaltenders and why it was one of them. So when we met, we, <laughs> we spent the first like hour and a half, two hours talking about Wyatt. And there were all these Disney guys around and they found this kind of looking and I, and Herb said, uh, and I said, yeah, we got We got to get down to some business here. And I see, and so I'm thinking, I was like, okay, well, I don't know, I guess this is the most fun year of your life. And he looked at me. It was like the two hours we had just discussed was like, well, are you an idiot? And I, because I, 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 I didn't know the story. And I just knew it was in the script and, and what I'd watched, of course. And, Do you believe in miracles and all that? And he looked at me. He said, are you kidding me? And I, I said, no, I, I don't know. He said, it was the loneliest year of my life. And I remember looking at Gavin O'Connor and saying, we have some work to do. And was able to get a lot from Herb his dilemma. He was a man who had three national championships, a future in the NHL, and he was putting it all on the line for a concept that nobody else was buying into. Yeah. It was tremendous. He wasn't just Simon Legree whipping the boys, going more, 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 more. No, it had to be put into context. And there was nothing, there was really nothing in the screenplay about what the coach was doing behind the bench. So it didn't matter. We had to work on that. And uh, I think that... Uh, I love that movie. It's also one of my favorite performances from Kurt Russell because I got the greatest accolade I've ever gotten out of that, which was when we went and had the premiere, uh, Herb's grandson, who was like three years old at the time, about, about four or five minutes into the movie, I was sitting not too far from them. I heard his little voice go, Papa! Or Poppy! I forget what it was. Poppy or Papa! And he was pointing at me and I said, that'll do that. That'll do it for me. You you nailed what my review would have been of that movie if you'd asked me. Mediocre script, you were great in it. 
It's a mediocre script. It's not a mediocre movie. No, it's I disagree not. with you if you think it's a mediocre movie. I said I think, mediocre script. Yeah, yeah, but so you I, said I, mediocre yeah, script. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the movie worked, yeah. but and, I think and, and, it worked because you were putting, good. I'm not laying something on the writers. I mean, yeah. I think they wrote the basics. Of what, what are you going to do? But there were some things that we needed to change, take out, put in, like you do on all movies. There's nothing different about Miracle in terms of that, in terms of the you know, in terms of the working on a script. But in particular, it needed you needed to know what Herb had at stake, so right. that every time you're with Herb, you just didn't want to get back to the guys. It was like, okay, got it, Herb. You're you know. You got it. You know, you want to win. Got it. No, you got to understand what somebody's putting on the table that they may look, that they may lose for their entire life. And, and that was fascinating. I happened, a very weird thing happened there. I'm a pilot and I was flying on the day that Herb was killed in his car accident. And I was flying from, I believe, Muskoka, Canada to Los Angeles. And I looked back on the time. I found out the time. I was almost directly over him. When what? he had that car accident, yeah, yeah, that's very bizarre. I've never told that story before, but wow. it was, I looked on my logbook and I kind of worked it back, and I was within a within a four or five mile range of you know at uh, what would I be? I would have been at twenty eight thousand feet, and uh, yeah, it was bizarre. That's amazing. Yeah. I think the problem with a movie like I wish that, you would have seen that. I wish you would have been able to see it. You have you have. First of all, you're competing against the memory everyone had from 1980. So that's obstacle one. Then obstacle two is it's this team of 22 hockey players, and it's just in a two-hour movie. It's tough to keep everyone just keep track of everyone, which is why the coach yes, that's and whatever the performance is is going to carry the movie. Yeah, but that's Gavin O'Connor doing that. He made you know who those people were by the end of it. Yeah, by, by you knew who was who. The coach has are, to be awesome. In well, you movie also though. knew by the end of the movie. You knew enough about hockey to realize that the last. Four or five minutes, you're playing defense. You're trying to prevent the. You're trying to hold on to the right. victory, and and you, the audience, understood. You know, there's not a lot of people that are going to understand the intricacies of defensive hockey. And Gavin O'Connor had the, the the difficulty of trying to subtly teach the audience through the personalities of the people and through the coach's wishes and desires and way and style. You you learned enough that by the time you get to the you're you're sitting there going hold on guys yeah. hold on and that's what that was going that's what was going on in that arena and that and when you're watching at home it was the yeah. longest nine and a half it was minutes just, oh, of God. all time it wasn't it, it took was five like, it was hours just, it was t- it was ten ten minutes so yeah. it was nine and a half minutes of of, of one you know it's like oh god the clock was let just this going be. and it's a, it, and they were a juggernaut that team was yeah. I think they'd won forty eight games or something like that in a row yeah internationally I mean it was. That's like an eighth grade team beating the Yankees in the seventh game of the World Series. It, it just it was that it was that crazy. It's the greatest tape delayed sports moment of my life. I agree, and I, I, <laughs> it was real simple. They outworked them. Yeah, it was a real. At the end of the day, the complexities of the game all mattered, but the work those guys put in. He Herb realized something. I got young legs. If I can build those young legs up, and I can get them to believe in themselves, in, in terms of what I think will work. We can outskate them, and that was ge- that was a genius concept. It was like what? Nobody can outskate. It's the, it's a, it's ice hockey. Yeah, you have to skate. These guys are the greatest skaters in in game terms in the world. And he he they, they warm out. Um, you took you took like a four year break from 07 to 2011. Where you was it a retirement or a sabbatical? No, I got interested in wine. I'm sitting on a. I'm doing Death Proof with Quentin Tarantino, and this this is, he's my favorite uh, filmmaker. I I, yeah. I I just think he's. Uh, I think he's a Orson Welles of our time. I think he's great, and he's a blast, and he's brilliantly talented. And I'm doing Death Proof, having a ball, playing this stuntman Mike character, just just having a ball. <laughs> but I've always wanted to make wine, and. <clears throat> uh, a friend of mine was talking to me about it at the time and saying, "You should, you know, if you're going to do this, you get, you need to get going on it." I said, "Yeah, I do. I just don't know how to do it or what to do in it." And I, now I'm sitting there with Zoe Bell strapped to the hood of the car. We're for three weeks, and we're going to be doing this scene. And I'm driving, and she's sitting there, and we're talking. And behind her, I'd always look at where I was just off the side of the road with the walkie-talkie, waiting for them to say, "Come on." Hopefully, they've shut down all the roads because we're going to literally be doing ninety to hundred going down this road and hopefully and the you know the camera cars in in one lane you're in the other and there's no room for anybody else coming the other way so yeah i mean hello and um 
but as I was waiting, I'd always be looking at this vineyard, <coughs> sort of daydreaming, thinking, God, like, I'd love to own a vineyard. I'd love to make one. The next year, I met the, the people who owned a vineyard in Santa Rita Hills, California, because I wanted to make Pinot Noir, and I wanted, and I, 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 I wanted to make a Burgundian style Pinot Noir. I know. Oh, I, wow, you're getting super I just, technical. On I me. just knew what I wanted to do. Yeah, but I had no idea how to do it. Go about it through a, a man named Greg Gorman, who it was an old acquaintance who was a great uh, photographer. He introduced me to um, Peter and Rebecca Work, who own Amplos Cellars at Amplos Vineyard. Yeah. Amplos Vineyard was the vineyard I was looking at when I'd sit on that corner. So now I've had the opportunity to start making wine with that vineyard and those people. And Peter, in particular, um, kind of took me under his wing, as it were, and I became their, their, uh, a, 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 a wine apprentice. And they let me make the kind of – they helped teach and – continue to teach me and help me uh, reach some of the goals that I want to reach in terms of winemaking. And my Gogi wine, G-O-G-I, is my wine. Um, people can always ask me, where can I go? I go to gogiwines.com. And uh, I, my wine is taken off. I mean, I, I make a really good high-end Pinot. I'm going tomorrow to the Disney Wine and Food <laughs> Festival uh, for three days. And they have my wine at the best restaurants around Disneyland, Disney World, Shanghai Disney and it's also all over Los Angeles and some places in San Francisco Wally's and it's 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 all around. I mean, my wine is growing and I'm very proud of it and I have my and in nowhere on it other than on the back is my name. I'm, it's not a this is not a situation of a celebrity slapping a horribly slapping an, a, a name on a bottle and making a claim. I love the whole world of learning being a part of making Blending, whatever, every, any, farming, anything has to do with wine. I, I, I just, I love it. And that was, I, I, I preferred the fun that I was having doing that to the screenplays I was reading. And I'm fortunate. I, I you know, made enough in my life to have my life. Uh, I'm stunned by this. Pinot I had no idea. Yeah. If you like Pinot, go for go. I love Pinot. Pinot's my favorite. I've probably you, had Pinot, this. You like Pinot Noir? Pinot's my favorite. Oh, well, okay. My Pinot's made for Pinot drinkers. It's a complex... Bal- uh, like, like, we can get, for, like, I have like, a whole lot. <laughs> Stop. <Yeah. laughs> this is sounding like a commercial in five seconds. But if you like Pinot, Bill, that's that's the deal. My okay. mom is uh, a wine lunatic. There are wine fans and wine lunatics. And my mom's a wine lunatic, <laughs> so I've had it Where basically the last 30... Are you in California? I'm in LA. My mom's in uh, in Beverly Hills. Okay, well, you're, but, you're... Yeah, so she's... I've, okay. I've, that's, go to Wally's. I, I eventually... I've been to Wally's. Go to Wally's and say, hey, I'm looking for... Uh, if you can't remember Gogi, okay. just say I'm looking for uh, Kurt Russell's wine. I think I'll and remember And also, Gogi. do you like Chardonnay? Nah, yeah, I do red. Okay. I'm, I'm well, done I with red white. Too, but I've I retired love, from white. I'm getting more and more into Chardonnay, too. I like that because I like Burgundian whites. So. Hmm. Um, anyway, I did that from bicycle trips uh, with Goldie. Started learning that I... There was, was more to Tate, the was that trip. the most shocking revelation of the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, Kurt yeah. Russell. All right, we're wrapping up. Fast right. 8 coming out Friday, which I think is when we're putting 14th? up this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the 14th. And by the way. Are you going to be alive for a... Fast 9? Can we say? I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. I just sort of. Mr. Nobody? I have no idea. You know, I have no, I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, you know, talk about next time around. All you care about each time is that movie. And I've seen it. It delivers. <laughs> I can recommend it. <laughs> Thanks for coming out. This is All great. All right. Cheers. All right.